You are listening to Episode 5 of Stoicism on Fire. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Fisher welcoming you to the Stoicism on Fire podcast, where the ancient practice of Stoic philosophy as a way of life and rational form of spirituality is still alive. This episode of Stoicism on Fire kicks off a series I call The Path of the Prokopton. A Prokopton is someone who is making progress along the Stoic path. So I need you to pay attention. Seriously, you really need to pay attention. Fortunately, that is precisely what this podcast is about. The Stoics called it prosake in Greek, and that word signifies an attitude and practice of attention. The French philosopher Pierre Hedo considered the practice of attention the fundamental Stoic spiritual attitude. It is a state of continuous, vigilant, and unrelenting attentiveness to oneself to the present impressions, present desires, and present actions which shape our moral character. My aim in this episode is to help you understand why it is so important to practice attention while on the path of the Prokopton. Epictetus says the following, quote, When you relax your attention for a while, do not fancy you will recover it whenever you please. But remember this, that because of your fault today, your affairs must necessarily be in a worse condition in future occasions. End quote. Therefore, attention is essential for the Prokopton to practice the three disciplines. The discipline of assent, the discipline of desire, and the discipline of action, which we will get to later in this series. Constant attention is necessary to live in agreement with nature. Once one embarks on the path of the Prokopton, the attitude of prosake, the attitude of attention, serves as an ever-present, vigilant watchman to ensure that we continue to make forward progress. As Epictetus warns, relaxing our attention is not only dangerous because of the faults which may be committed in the present, but he further warns that because of our faults today, our affairs must be necessarily in a worse condition in future occasions. The attitude and practice of prosake focuses our attention and provides the foundation for those Stoic disciplines whose aim is a life of excellence, lived in accordance with nature wherein we experience human flourishing or well-being, otherwise known as eudaimonia. Before we get any deeper into the discussion about prosake, which can appear quite onerous at first glance, it's important to understand that progress in Stoicism does not require perfection. Yes, to be a sage does require perfection, but that's not what I'm talking about right now. This episode is about making progress toward that ideal of the sage. Let's be honest, it's unlikely that any of us will ever become sages. Nevertheless, we can make progress. We can be a Stoic Prokopton. Epictetus is clear on this issue. He asks in the Discourses 4.12.19, So is it possible to be altogether faultless? His response is, no, that is impracticable. The practice of Stoicism requires attention, not perfection. The goal of the Prokopton is continual progress toward the perfection of the sage, without the expectation that we will ever achieve it. Therefore, the Stoic sage is an ideal which we attentively focus our mind on as we practice the disciplines of assent, desire, and action. Again, according to Epictetus, the practicable goal of Stoicism is not perfection. Instead, it is, quote, to strive continuously not to commit faults, end quote, with the realistic hope 
that by never relaxing our attention, we shall escape at least a few of those faults. So what are we to do when we fail in our practice? What are we to do at those moments when we fall flat on our face and fail to live up to our Stoic principles? Well, Epictetus also provides us with a clear answer about that. He says, in this contest, even if we should falter for a while, no one can prevent us from resuming the fight, nor is it necessary to wait another four years for the next Olympic Games to come around. But as soon as one has recovered and regained one's strength and can muster the same zeal as before, one can enter the fight. And if one should fail again, one can enter once again. And if one should carry off the victory one fine day, it will be as if one had never given in. So we have two important points here that we have to balance. First, we have to pay attention to our thoughts, desires, fears, intentions, and actions. That means we're going to have to focus on some areas of our thinking that are probably less than ideal. We are going to fail occasionally. There is no question about that. But when we do, we have to keep in mind that we do not have to be perfect in order to make progress. Our failure is only momentary. However, we have to stay on the path. If we have a bad moment, a bad day, if you get knocked down, don't sit there and ruminate about it. Get up and get back in the fight. Learn from your failure and move on. Remember, attention, not perfection. So what exactly is prosoké? Pierre Hedot, the philosopher who helped to reintroduce the concept of philosophy as a way of life, wrote the following about it, and I'm going to read two long passages. He wrote that attention, prosoké, is the fundamental Stoic spiritual attitude. It is a continuous vigilance, presence of mind, self-consciousness, which never sleeps, and a constant tension of the spirit. Thanks to this attitude, the philosopher is fully aware of what he does at each moment, and he wills his actions fully. Thanks to his spiritual vigilance, the Stoic always has, quote, at hand, the fundamental rule of life. That is the distinction between what depends on us and what does not. In another passage, Hedo writes, The fundamental attitude of the Stoic philosopher was prosoke, attention to oneself and vigilance at every instant. For the Stoics, the person who is, quote, awake, end quote, is always perfectly conscious, not only of what he does, but of what he is. In other words, he is aware of his place in the universe and of his relationship to God. His self-consciousness is, first and foremost, a moral consciousness. A person endowed with such consciousness seeks to purify and rectify his intentions at every instant. He is constantly on the lookout for signs within himself of any motive for action other than that to do good. Such self-consciousness is not, however, merely a moral conscience. It is also cosmic consciousness. The, quote, attentive, end quote, person lives constantly in the presence of God and is constantly remembering God, joyfully consenting to the will of universal reason, and he sees all things with the eyes of God himself, end quote. Obviously, the practice of prosoké is not easy. To use an old adage, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Even the adjectives used to describe prosoké, tension, vigilance, self-consciousness, etc., are enough to deter mere mortals from its practice. However, it's not as daunting as it first appears. If we remember Epictetus taught us that perfection is impracticable, we have to keep in mind that we're focused on attention, not perfection. Our goal is to focus on the continuous practice of attention, rather than the perfection which we will likely never achieve. 
Fortunately, Marcus Aurelius offers us some practical advice which further reduces the perceived burden of prosoche by limiting the span of our attention to the present. In Meditations 7.54, Marcus Aurelius limits the focus of his attention to the present. He writes, Everywhere and all the time, it lies within your power to be reverently contented with your present lot, to behave justly to such people as are presently at hand, and to deal skillfully with your present impressions so that nothing may steal into your mind which you have not adequately grasped. So what lies within our power? Marcus is saying that it lies within our power to be reverently contented with our present lot. That falls under the discipline of desire. Also, to behave justly to such people as are presently at hand. And that falls within the discipline of action. Finally, to deal skillfully with our present impressions, which falls under the discipline of assent. You'll notice that in all three, Marcus has limited his focus, the focus of his attention, to the present, not to the past, not to the future. Since we're dealing with attention to the present, it's interesting to note that time does not exist in Stoicism. It only subsists, which means it is less than corporeal reality. Time is a passing moment. Time is like the Heraclitian River that is perpetually changing. In the same way that we cannot step into the same river twice, we cannot experience the same moment twice. Therefore, when we dwell on the past, we are ruminating on something that no longer exists in reality. The past only exists in our mind, and only to the extent that we relive it mentally. Yet, many people struggle to relinquish their compulsion to ruminate over the past and worry about the future, and that creates our mental anguish. Whenever I think about how we mess up our present by focusing on the future and the past, I recall an event that occurred back in the mid-1990s when I was living in California. I was attending a personal growth seminar with a group of about a dozen other people. When a woman stood up, lifted one of her feet into the air, widened her stance slightly, put her foot down and said, I live my life with one foot firmly planted in the past. Then she picked up the other foot, widened her stance a little wider, and said, and with one foot firmly planted in the future, and I'm pissing all over my present. As a practicing Stoic, if we want to travel the path of the Prokopton, we must relinquish the past and the future as externals over which we have no control. They are not up to us. We cannot make progress if we remain scattered and constantly distracted. The fleeting attention that most of us give to the events of our lives epitomizes an attitude of mindlessness, not prosoche. As a prokopton, we must constantly apply the fundamental rule of life, the distinction between what is up to us and what is not up to us. And the only way to accomplish that is to focus our attention on that which is within our complete control, and that is the present moment. Additionally. Through the practice of attention, we begin to see the connection between our inner world of beliefs, desires, fears, and intentions, which constitute our moral character, and the outer world of action. Awareness of that connection exposes the causal web or chain where our moral character plays a causal role in the world. Our thoughts shape our desires, which mold our character, and then generate the impulses of our will toward action. Recognizing that sequence and taking responsibility for the thoughts that generate it is a necessary part of making progress along the Stoic path. Now I want to talk about some ways that we can put the practice of prosoche into action in our daily lives. The first is seeing the world anew. Seneca, in letter 64.6, writes about the inspired attitude every glimpse of virtue brings him. Even though he spends a large portion of his time thinking about wisdom, he writes that he is no less astonished by her than when he looks up into the heavens as if seeing them for the very first time. 
I grew up in the Pacific Northwest in the United States, and during the summers, I spent many nights on what we called sleepouts. That meant basically rolling a sleeping bag out onto the ground and sleeping under the stars at night. And on many occasions, I laid there for a few minutes before I fell asleep, and I stared up into the stars, wondering about ideas like, how could this possibly be infinite? Does it have an end someplace? How did all of this come about? As a child at the time, I didn't consider these to be philosophical questions. They were just thoughts inspired by the sense of wonder and beauty as I looked into the heavens. A couple of decades later, as a mountain climber, I always had that same experience each time I looked into the heavens from an unencumbered view of a base camp. Each time I looked up, it was as if I was seeing it again for the very first time. I never grew numb to that experience. Many of us live in cities and places far too brightly lit or too smoggy to see the heavens clearly. However, we can still be present to the wondrous events of nature and humanity all around us, if we pay attention and refuse to be bored by seeing the same things repeatedly. I lived in California when my youngest son was born. One day I took him for a hike along the American River at the base of the Sierra Mountains with my older son, who's 10 years older. My youngest son was in a backpack, a child backpack, because he was too young to walk and was actually pre-verbal. As we walked down the trail, he would kick and squeal and point to everything that excited him. If a squirrel ran up a tree, he squealed and pointed. If a bird flew from a tree, he squealed and pointed. At some point along the hike, my older boy turned to me and said, Dad, why does he get so excited about a squirrel or a bird? What are, why are all these things making him so excited? I thought about it for a minute, and then I realized the answer. The answer was that in his eyes, in my young child's eyes, he was seeing all of these wonders for the very first time. He was seeing them through fresh eyes. It wasn't just another squirrel, another bird. It was the first squirrel, the first bird, the wonders of nature that were exciting him. Nothing was boring or mundane to him. Every new sight was a spectacular event. Now, we cannot go back and see things for the first time. However, we can attempt to set aside our mind-numbing familiarity with everything going on around us and attempt to see things from a new perspective. We can pay attention and thereby attempt to see what is going on around us through fresh eyes rather than seeing everything through our preconceptions and cognitive biases that may just be the creations of false judgments. And that brings us to another way to practice attention. And another wonderful story, this time not mine, but a story told by the author Stephen Covey. And it was a story about Mr. Covey being on a subway train when a father and several children boarded. The children were running wild, bothering passengers and bothering Mr. Covey. He asked the parent to rein his children in. Oh, you're right, I guess I should do something about that, the distraught father replied. We just came from the hospital, where their mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to think, and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. Stephen Covey said he had a paradigm shift at that moment. He saw that entire scenario through completely different eyes. Why? Because he had a different judgment about the events that were occurring in front of him. Remember that story the next time a driver cuts you off. The truth is that you have no idea what's going on in the driver's life that may have caused him to be a bad driver at that moment. One of the most profound truths of Stoicism is this. Nothing external to you can truly harm you. Externals cannot harm your moral character or diminish your well-being. Only your thoughts can bring about that harm to you. Don't allow that to happen. Pay attention to your judgments. Challenge them. Then let them go immediately. That person's driving is not up to you. The same is true of the rude person in the checkout line, the angry boss, the irritated co-worker. The truth is that our judgments of others do not harm them. They only harm us. 
Pay attention to your judgments of external events. Challenge them. Release them. The final practice of prosuke I want to talk about is the cosmic viewpoint. I already challenged you to practice attention by looking up into the heavens and out into the world around you to see things through fresh eyes. Now I'm going to challenge you to practice attention by seeing everything as if from above. This is the cosmic viewpoint, and it entails more than seeing the insignificance of life as if from afar. The cosmic viewpoint can provide an entirely new outlook on the events in our lives. As Pierre Hedot writes, The philosopher must abandon his partial, egoistic vision of reality in order, by way of physics, to rise to the point of seeing things as universal reason sees them. Above all, the philosopher must intensely wish the common good of the universe and of society by discovering that a part can possess no other proper good than the common good of the all. Hedo further describes the effect of this cosmic viewpoint as follows. Our perspective is changed, once again, when the self, as a principle of freedom, recognizes that there is nothing greater than the moral good, and therefore accepts what has been willed by destiny, that is to say, universal reason. The cosmic viewpoint is a central theme in Stoicism in general, and in Seneca's natural questions in particular. In that book, Seneca impels his reader to look upward, to transcend ordinary life at ground level, to reach for cosmic consciousness. This viewpoint is often referred to in Stoicism as the view from above. From this viewpoint, events which may otherwise be considered tragic become threads in a larger tapestry when we step back and see the whole picture. This cosmic viewpoint is part of Epictetus' prescription for psychological resilience. In Discourses 1.6.1, we read, From everything that happens in the universe, it is easy to praise providence. If one has within him two things, the faculty of taking a comprehensive view of things that happen to each person and a sense of gratitude. Therefore, events viewed within the context of our whole life and the whole cosmos can take on new meaning. From that vantage point, we begin to understand the Stoic principle that it is not events that trouble us, but our thoughts about those events. The view from above creates a cosmic paradigm shift within us. Our psychological angst, is often the result of seeing events from our very limited human perspective. Stoic practice teaches us to view events from the cosmic perspective. And according to Marcus, from that perspective, we can see the intermixture of everything as an ordered combination of opposites. As you go about your day, try applying the cosmic viewpoint to events by asking yourself the following questions. What might this event look like if I had full knowledge of what was going on? Will I care about this event an hour, a day, or year, or decade from now? Can I envision a way this event, which appears unfortunate, troublesome, or even tragic at this time, might bring about a better outcome than I originally envisioned? If so, would it be prudent for me to act as if this apparently troublesome event is directing me toward a new course of action? Did this slamming door reveal another previously unnoticed door that I should explore? Seneca challenges us to look upward to transcend ordinary life at ground level, to reach for cosmic consciousness. Allow your soul to take flight, metaphorically of course, and envision the world and the events around you as if from above. According to the Stoics, the perspective you will achieve from that cosmic viewpoint will change your life. The practice of attention is not easy. If it were, everyone would be doing it. Nevertheless, it is the fundamental spiritual attitude of Stoic practice. Therefore. 
If we want to make progress on the path of the Prokopton, we must pay attention. In the coming episodes, you will see why the practice of attention is necessary for the disciplines of assent, desire, and action. Now here's a bit of homework for you. Read the Discourses of Epictetus, Book 4, Chapter 12. The entire chapter is about attention, and it will help prepare you for the upcoming episodes. If you're feeling really ambitious, read my paper on prosake. It's available on the resource page at www.traditionalstoicism.com. In the meantime, remind yourself regularly to practice attention. Focus your attention on what is within your control in the present moment. By doing so, you will ignite the flame that can set your practice of Stoicism on fire. Thank you for listening to the Stoicism on Fire podcast. If you're interested in this ancient practice of Stoicism, you will find plenty of resources at www.traditionalstoicism.com. If you're interested in a social media environment where this form of Stoicism is being discussed, please join us on Facebook in the Traditional Stoicism group. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a positive review on iTunes. That helps other people find this podcast and get introduced to the ancient spiritual practice of the Stoics. If you have feedback for me or a great podcast idea, please send me an email at chris, at C-H-R-I-S, at traditionalstoicism.com. Until next time, I hope you'll continue exploring traditional Stoicism, where the cosmos is alive with the meaning and purpose of the divine fire of the ancient Stoics. I wish you well and encourage you to keep your practice of Stoicism on fire. <laughs>